Welcome to Screen Therapy. I'm your host, Jason Schurz. In October of 2018, I found myself in the hospital, sitting across from a psychiatrist who was telling me I had bipolar. I was sent home with a bunch of medication and laid on the couch for a week. I had my iTunes library on shuffle, trying to shake the hornet's nest from my head. Ever since I was a kid, I've been using loud music as a form of therapy. Punk rock and mental health have always been connected. This podcast looks at that connection through the lens of different guests. This is Screen Therapy. Heavy metal saved my life. Well, it's not the punk rock salvation this podcast often declares, but the parallels are undeniable. For me and people like Brian Sacchetta, metal and punk music have always shared a common bond. It keeps you in the present. It's therapy. Brian is the author of the Get Out of Your Head book series and does mental health coaching under the same name. He believes that people need to find their own approaches and strategies to overcome anxiety and depression. Brian says the visualization exercises exposed by self-help garbage like The Secret can cause more anxiety about not doing it right. Metal rescued Brian from an incredibly tough time in his life. The volume and fury spoke to a darkness inside him that needed to be processed. Out of necessity, Brian consumed and dissected different forms of therapy to curate what worked for him. He hopes he can help others find the same. Hey, I'm Brian Zuchetta, owner and author of Get Out of Your Head, which is a brand and book series that seeks to help folks overcome anxiety and depression. If you look at the brand, there's a lot of you know punk rock, heavy metal, kind of heavy music infused into the identity of the brand itself. The logo there is this snarling snake with a brain. What are some of the things that have helped you, Brian, in the past therapeutically? And I really kept coming back to heavy metal and heavy music and just how it's such a therapeutic outlet for me. And so I wanted to really feature that. Not that that's the only stuff I talk about, you know, in my blogs and my books and stuff like that, but it's such an important piece of the entire puzzle for me. And it's something that's really close to my heart. So you have a lot of experience dealing with anxiety and depression from your own life, and you've learned a lot of skills and takeaways from the readings that you've done, and now you've written your own book. What do you tell people with just the real basic, I'm struggling with anxiety, I'm struggling with depression, what do I do? I usually have to dig a little bit deeper, right? But if I just said without knowing anything about the person, a couple things that usually come in common with that situation, right, is that person is probably not oriented toward the present, right? They are thinking about things in the future that are scaring them. They are 
attaching to memories and haunting things in the past that, you know, make them feel a certain way. So maybe, maybe some of the depression piece coming in there. So one thing that I talk about a lot is helping folks get back into the present moment. Cause if you think about it, it's like, where does joy come from, right? It comes from being really ingrained or immersed in a meaningful or exciting activity, right? And that's, if you think about music, it's like, why does that get you out of your head? Why does that help you feel good? Is because like, you are so engrossed in the riffs, in the lyrics, in the music. And it's it's just a really therapeutic outlet in that sort of fashion. And so that's why I focus on something like that, telling folks to get back to the present moment. Not that there aren't other ideas that I throw out at them, but that's one that definitely is a common theme. And you've attached yourself to the idea of music being one of the things that really does get you in the moment. And you know they always say depression is the past and anxiety is the future. Not always, but that is kind of a general way of saying it. And why do you think that you attracted yourself initially to the music? Was there a certain point in your life where you needed to grab onto something? Do you remember going back when it all began? I'll put my hand up and say I have struggled with anxiety and depression for a good portion of my life. I would say mostly high school, college, you know, I'm 33 now, definitely periods in the post-college era where I struggled with things. Um, But I remember going back to, say, 2012 when I was a senior in college and really being in the throes of a depressive episode and, and, like, to be honest, like, was questioning whether I really wanted to live anymore. I was in a dark, dark place. And when you're in that moment, I mean, you're looking for anything you can to make you feel better, right? And obviously, there are disempowering ways that we could approach that. You know, maybe folks turn to drinking and drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. And the reality is that some people go that route, right? For me, it was like, I've never wanted to use drugs and alcohol as a crutch. It's like I use them, if I use them at all, it's in social settings to have fun. When I was going through this episode, I was like, what are the things that I can do besides going to the gym to make myself feel better? And in college, unfortunately, there's just so much drinking and partying and whatnot. And it was like, if I'm not happy in those situations, if I'm still in the throes of this depressive episode, like it's got to come from somewhere else. And so even though I had been listening to heavy music and metal for a long time, that was where I felt as though I really reconnected with it. I needed something to kind of bring me back into that headspace of like, okay, I can regularly get myself out of my thoughts. I can have something that I go to that can make me feel better, whether it's the music itself or the lyrics or the inspiration, whatever it was. It was, I'm looking, thinking about that presence piece, right? Finding ways to get back into the moment and spark those positive feelings within me. One of the things that I noticed about the book that you wrote is that you really came from a place of lived experience. You talk in the book about how you you were looking for an answer to the anxiety that you're experiencing in particular panic attacks. You went into some studyings and came back out with your own idea of how it should be rather than just taking on other people's ideas. You twisted that and made it your own. Yeah, for sure. And it really just comes down to wanting things that work. And so I think we all get to a point where we see some infomercial or we're listening to some person on TV or whatever it may be. And and there's some folks out there that are really great, right? That have great solutions that work. But also like we run into these situations where, you know, we hear a commercial and it's like, just buy this thing and it will change your life. And unfortunately, sometimes you buy those products, you buy those books and you're like, this, this isn't doing it for me, you know? So it really just came out of necessity and saying to myself, I've listened. I was just grabbing all sorts of different content and trying to synthesize it and try it out. If that content were providing strategies or tactics that you could apply in your own life, I was trying to take them and run with them. And I just found as though they weren't really helping me. I talk about in that first book, this one specific ebook that I read where, and and this is sort of pervasive throughout the mental health sphere is 
kind of on the line of the secret, right? People will say, you know, in order to have what you want, you need to visualize it in your own mind. And one of the real difficulties with that is if you are prone to anxious thinking or you're prone to anxiety like I am and like many listeners are, when you start thinking about those things, right? You say, okay, I'm on stage. I'm hitting all the notes. My band is crushing it. We're having an awesome time. If you're prone to anxiety, as you go into those visualizations, the anxiety is still there. And then, so you're almost trying to fight it as your body is like, oh goodness, like I know I'm on stage and I'm supposed to be having a good time, but I'm still fearful. You read an author who says, do the visualization. We're looking at these folks as authority figures and we're saying this person must have the answer and this must work for me, even if that's not actually true, which it's kind of not. I think you get to a point where you're like, I'm trying, I'm trying, and like I'm almost hitting a wall here. And you feel as though for a while you must be doing something wrong. And that's how I felt. I was like, I must just be implementing this strategy the wrong way. Eventually, you get to the point where you're like, okay, I have tried this for a really long time. You don't have to necessarily say this flat out doesn't work. You could just say it doesn't work for me. And that's the point that I got to where I said to myself, the whole idea of like visualizing and trying to see myself succeeding and all that, that only made me feel worse. I really think that's probably the case more often than not is because it just leads to more rumination. And when you ruminate, like you don't usually figure things out. You don't usually feel better. So the best idea, at least for me, the best strategy that worked for me was to drop that tactic entirely and just, again, get into the present moment. Try to stop chewing over those fears and get back to more positive feelings and slowly build upon that, expand upon that until it's like, okay, little baby steps, right? I feel a little bit better. Now I feel a little bit more better and so on and so forth. Panic attacks, the very thought of having the panic attack will bring on a panic attack. That's really hard to get around because, of course, the more you get anxious, the more self-fulfilling. You're hitting the nail on the head in the sense that if you talk to researchers, they will basically say that if we use the term panic disorder, the real issue is the fear of the fear. It's like once you are able to neutralize the fear, you may get another panic attack, but you're not necessarily looking around for one and being like, oh, where is it going to come next? Right? Because that's the worst place to be in the world. You can't live normally. You're going outside and you're saying, Something's going to come around the corner that's going to set me off. And all of a sudden, I'm going to be triggered into another panic attack. And like you said, you can even bring that panic attack upon yourself without there being that external trigger, because it's almost as if you are you don't want it to happen, but you are out there looking for it. A big theme of scream therapy is the idea of punk rock saved my life. And it's become a catchphrase for the podcast and the book. And you mentioned to me that you thought the heavy metal saved your life, which I could say that both did in, in some ways because I, I started out with heavy metal when I was younger and kind of pivoted into punk and I still listen to metal all the time. Maybe give me a bit of an idea of how you believe that heavy metal saved your life. Yeah. I mean, going back to what I had said a couple of minutes ago, right? Being in a depressive episode in 2012 and like really kind of questioning whether or not I wanted to continue to live. And I was looking for anything that could help me get by. And when I got back to metal and was like, oh my goodness, like this is such a therapeutic outlet. This, and maybe I didn't have the terms at the time, but I was like, this makes me feel a little bit better or maybe even like a lot better. You know, it's hard to know if when you say to yourself, I really am suicidal or I really am having these thoughts or whatever, if you would act on it. But like, I just felt so terrible all the time. I say maybe proverbially, maybe literally that it saved my life just because if I look back on that, I'm like, metal was one of the only things that I feel as though it brought me through that dark period. And I continue to go back to it. You know, those days where I think we all struggle and going back to an old album and kind of reliving, you know, the highs of the riffs and whatnot, like it's so therapeutic and it's, it's fun. You know, it's like, there's days where you're just 
you don't have the inspiration and you turn on one of those tracks and you're like, let's go. I think metal is one of the most misunderstood blacklisted forms of music, even more so than punk rock. At least with punk rock, it's rock and roll. You know, it's got the distorted guitars and the screamy uh, yelling and shouting. But because metal is just so technical and dark and the vocals are just so sometimes very monstrous, it does get a really bad rap. And the thing about metal for me is it showed me what the world was all about. It showed me what the social issues were. It showed me what the personal issues were. It was a form of music that I found to be very liberating because it was dark and it did speak to my darker spots. And I think there's that misconception about metal is going to make you dark. It's going to turn you into some sort of monster or it's going to turn you into this citizen of chaos or citizen of darkness. The bands that you mentioned to me, and you can rattle off a few of them, but those are very positive bands. They have political lyrics. They're very socially conscious. For starters, right, some of the bands, so all-time favorites, Killswitch Engage is like probably the band that I would say really brought me into metal and metalcore. Unearth is another like Massachusetts-based band that I've always been such a big fan of. Man, that music got me through some tough times. I think we can all say something like that, right? For a specific band, for a specific album. Trivium, In Flames, the new wave of American heavy metal, metalcore, band falling under that umbrella. A couple others like Bullet for My Valentine, Lamb of God. That's probably like my top seven, top eight. I don't know. I'm sure I'm missing a couple of them. But, you know, on the social issues and the personal issues, I struggled early on with my enjoyment of metal. I would be embarrassed, like my friends would find my iPod or, you know, my device and and they'd be like, what do you, you listen to this kill yourself music or whatever? And I'm like, I was just so humiliated because like I don't know how to defend myself other than the fact that I enjoy it. And I think you had said it doesn't necessarily have to make you dark. And I totally agree with that. It was like it sort of just spoke to a piece of darkness within me and helped it become a little bit cathartic in a way. It was like, I'm already wrestling with these issues and listening to these songs, the riffs and the lyrics that they're talking about really helped me process some of these difficult things in my mind. Once in a while, it's kind of fun to just throw on a track, and and this is kind of punk rock, that just says like, F the system. There's something about that that I don't know what the right word is, but it it feels good. And once in a while, again, it's cathartic. You go to a show and you listen to the bands and you're right up front. It's well enough to go home and just listen to the records, throw on the headphones and just blast it or go to the gym or walk down the street with this stuff, just completely enveloping your mind. But going to a show is just that next level. And from what I find, going to metal shows particularly, everybody's just so happy. They're just so happy to be there. They want to grab you and yell in your face and be like, yeah, man, they really want to get into it. And I think that, again, is very much different than what people would perceive, especially with the mosh pit, which is a whole other discussion. But metal has something about it that fills the spirit. Yeah, I I feel usually pretty good. I was thinking back, I went to a show at the Palladium in Worcester, Massachusetts. It was Killswitch Engage, Unearth. I just remember like coming out of that show and it was such a special moment. The nostalgia, right, of hearing those older songs and being transported back to high school and college, maybe when things were a little bit simpler in my own life or in the world or whatever it may be, or at least my perception of it. You may find yourself belting out these songs with complete strangers, (laughs) arm around each other or whatever, and then you leave and you're like, that made no sense, but that was so cool. Some of my best friends I met at shows. Awesome. The very first shows that I went to 
still have friends from those days way back. For me, punk rock has always been that. It's always been a way to feel like I belonged and feel like I was whole. That's why I always say, metaphorically, it saved my life. I don't know where I would have been without it. Have you thought much about where you would be without finding metal? Probably lost, or at least more lost. I don't pretend to come from a place of, hey, I I have figured everything out and I have all the answers, right? It's just that I have some. And I like to share what I have learned with other folks. The metal has really been a catalyst of helping me process things, figure things out, and just feel a little bit better, right? It's I think we all need our reliable slash go-to methods when we're not feeling like ourselves. And even, even when we are, right? It's like, I sometimes look at metal as like, it can help me when I'm not feeling so good. And it can also sort of amplify things when I am feeling good. And so it's, it depends on what mindset I'm in or, you know, kind of the headspace I'm in during the day, but it helps a lot one way or another. And where would I be? I really do hope that I would still be here, but I think it would at the very least have taken even more struggle than it already did and probably more struggle than was necessary, if I could say that. Do you inject the passion that you have for loud music into your mental health approaches and the things you write about? Yeah. You know, I I, I don't want to say this from a self-aggrandizing standpoint, but like I'm an artist, you know, and and my books are kind of my albums in a way. I infuse some topics and ideas and metaphorical stuff into the books that comes from the music and also just being able to, you know, have have the brand with the logo that reminds me of the music. You have a lot of experience with cognitive behavioral therapy in what you do and some methods that you use. Some of the ones that I was looking at were quite what I call punk-informed. Cognitive behavioral therapy, right? The idea of thinking about your own thinking, how that makes you feel, and then how that influences your behaviors. In the first book, I talk about the fact that we sort of determine what our own anxiety means, right? So you're sitting in your, you know, on your couch and you're like, well, I'm having a panic attack right now, or I'm nervous right now, and I'm about to go do something that scares me. And so because I'm scared right now, that must mean that whatever I'm about to go do is going to go poorly. And we kind of set off these really destructive patterns, almost like uh, chain reactions in our mind. And Going back to the notion that you said earlier in the episode of like, sometimes when you have panic disorder, it's the fear of the fear that creates the fear itself. If we are telling ourselves, hey, you know, I'm about to go play on stage with my band and I'm nervous. And because I'm nervous, that means we're going to do terrible tonight and everybody's going to boo us. It's almost a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but it can often work that way where because you're anxious, then you're telling yourself all these negative things, and then you're believing them and you're almost internalizing the beliefs and the you're taking those thoughts and you're sending them into your body in a a real physical way where your heart races, your palms sweat, or you feel as though you can't think straight and whatnot. And so a lot of the the CBT that I bring in throughout the writing is, is helping folks have a little bit more of that critical eye to say to themselves like, okay, I am feeling this way right now. I am thinking this way right now. And in the past, maybe certain things have happened when I have run these patterns. And so it's really a process for me of helping my readers break into that and say, oh, I'm identifying my own patterns. I have done this previously and it's made me feel this way and kind of uprooting some of the destructiveness there. And different things work for all of us, right? So rather than coming from a place of saying, hey, CBT is the best thing for everyone and the, you know, the CBT triangle and these specific strategies, I try to curate as many strategies as I can. I'm, I'm not going to throw 500 at you because I want to make sure that they are helpful for someone, especially myself, if I feel as though I've used them out in the field. We're going to talk about several different ideas. I don't want the reader to get hung up on the fact that something is not working for them because that is another 
flavor of that almost like self-fulfilling prophecy, bringing negative feelings upon ourselves, right? It's like, we almost need to develop this strategy and skill inside of ourselves to just say, if something's not working, I'm going to move on. I'm not going to stress out about it. I'm not going to make myself worse. going to try something else out. I have to find something that works and I'm going to stay tenacious. I'm going to stay relentless. And in a way, right? Obviously I was, I had my own share of negative feelings where there was doubt and helplessness and whatnot. But I think if you stick to that and you are able to say to yourselves, the fact that a particular tactic is not working for me has nothing to do with my self-worth, has nothing to do with my own skill set or value or anything like that. And you just quickly move on. You know, you get to a solution a little bit faster. One of the things that was on the promo for your first book was the idea that computer systems and the mind. And I thought that was really interesting because it sounds like you're, don't take this wrong, but a real computer nerd. And uh, to come from that approach, I don't think a lot of people would think about it like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't take any offense to that at all. <laughs> One of the things that I say sometimes is, so folks will be like, are computer systems and mental health, are they one-to-one -one parallels? Is it really a huge overlap? It's kind of more that I think you can find parallels in a lot of things if you look for them, right? And the fact that I spend, you know, I'm a full-time software developer by trade. So it's like the fact that I spend 40 hours a week or something like that on average writing software, thinking about architecting different programs, my mind is kind of just built that way where it's like, okay, then I'm looking at my mental health struggles and some of the things that I deal with and I'm trying to help my coaching clients and whatnot. And I think just by virtue of my own training, so to speak, I look at mental health through the lens of the work that I do full-time and the fact that I spend so many hours per week there, it's not a one-to-one -one overlap. But what I do is I like to, I, I think people learn from stories and people like stories. And so I just try to incorporate different ideas from the computer science world and say, hey, here's this idea over here. Here's how it compares to what we're talking about right now. And even if it weren't computer science, to be honest, right? If it were, if I were talking about swimming or whatever it may be, having those comparisons is helpful for people. You sometimes hear, if you talk to somebody who surfs, right? They may say, okay, as you're surfing, there may be an obstacle to your right and you want to avoid that obstacle. Instead of staring at it, instead of looking at it and being like, okay, I'm, that's my guide and I got to steer away from that. You look at where you want to go and you focus on that and you bring yourself there. And so, you know, being able to take any sort of I wouldn't say simplistic, but easy to digest example, and then compare it to some of these really difficult things that we deal with. I think that helps break it down a little bit for folks and make it just easier to process. If you were to come across someone who was just dipping their toe into the music scene and maybe was at their first show, what would you tell them about what it meant to you and, and what it's done for you over the years? I guess it depends on where they're coming from. If they say, you know, I'm here and I, I do deal with mental health issues and whatnot. If they said that, I would say, you know, th this can be a really therapeutic outlet. It can be a source of a lot of joy. It can be a big source of community, right? When you get into a room with somebody, it, it kind of going back to the idea of singing songs with strangers and maybe, you know, wrapping your arms around them or, or whatever, right? The idea that you can get into the same room as somebody who likes the same kind of music as you do, it's almost as if they are like, I'm not going to say that they're your best friend, but you can easily <laughs> strike up a connection with them, right? It's You have this shared passion and you can just riff forever. No pun intended. It's just like, oh, you know, what about this album? And what about that song? And uh, that's a really, really cool thing that I think in this day and age where the social media age, and we are unfortunately kind of more disconnected than ever, despite our technological connections, that's a really powerful thing for a lot of people.
That was my conversation with Brian Sichetta of Get Out of Your Head, getoutofyourhead.com. For more episodes of Screen Therapy, go to screentherapyhq.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Big news, the Screen Therapy book is available now. Screen Therapy, a punk journey through mental health, tells my story and the stories of others who use punk as a catalyst for mental health. Like this podcast, it links the community-minded punk scene with the mental wellness of the punks who belong to it. To order the book, go to screentherapyhq.com. For merch, check out the newly opened store at screentherapyhq.com store. And for even more designs, check out Screen Therapy on TeePublic. Okay, enough promoting. It's time for some thanking. Thank you for listening to Screen Therapy. Doing this podcast and talking to folks about punk rock and mental health has been a crucial part of my own mental stability, and it means so much to me that you're out there listening. Screen Therapy is created in the Cathet region of coastal British Columbia, Canada, on the traditional territory of the Klahaman Nation. Contact me at ScreenTherapyHQ.com or email me at ScreenTherapyPodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Let's talk about punk rock and mental health. Until next time, take care and be well.